Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light of what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt. This episode is being brought to you by the Born to be a Badass Prep School, the premier self-protection course that teaches you everything you should have been taught about how to be safe in the world as you were growing up, but weren't. If you're like me, you were taught how to cross the street and how to swim, but probably heard very little, if anything at all, about the dangers you might encounter at work, in your relationships, or just out and about in the world. Maybe that's because your parents, like mine, didn't know what to teach you, or maybe it was just assumed that bad things might happen to other people, but not to you. This is the program I wish had existed when my own daughters were growing up. Heck, it's what I needed to learn and never had a clue about in my younger days. The Prep School is an online program where you will change your mindset and learn how to make the most of your innate abilities to protect yourself. You'll learn what to look for and how to recognize potential dangers, what to do in bad situations, and how to manage fear. You'll discover how to tap into your body's natural protective skills if you have to fight, and how to deal with the aftermath of an incident. Not only is this a virtual program that you can do from anywhere at any time, you get lifetime access to the content, access to my private support group, and you get a gift certificate to use towards one of my live, hands-on training events that builds upon the prep school curriculum. Get yourself over to www.cynthiajolicoeur.com slash prep school to learn more and to register for an upcoming session. As a listener to the Born to be a Badass podcast, you will save more than 60% on your enrollment by entering the code podcast when you register. Hello and welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur. And today I am super excited to bring on the show two of my fellow self-defense coaches, women that I have gotten to know pretty well and started to do some joint projects, collaborative projects with, and I asked them if they'd be willing to do a roundtable discussion with me, and they both said yes. So my first guest is Lisa Abbott. She started martial arts in 1982 and started in a traditional system. The school or the dojo was in a nearby town, kind of nearby. She says nearby, but it was actually a hundred mile round trip. So she was pretty dedicated and went all the way there to train. As a brown belt, she was encouraged to open a branch of that school, which she did. She and her husband built their own studio on their property in 1990. And after 20 years with that school, she left the world of traditional martial arts when she realized that it was not really the full solution that women wanted, and she, she was more interested in self-defense. So she began searching for somebody to learn real-world self-defense from and got a self-defense instructor certification from Phil Messina of Modern Warrior Defensive Tactics in Long Island, New York, and then moved on, based on his recommendation, to working with Rory Miller after reading his book, Meditations on Violence. So she has trained with Rory since 2010 and currently teaches self-defense seminars while working in the public school system in northeastern Nevada. 
She's married and she has two fully grown sons and one grandson. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Great to be here. This is very exciting. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Now let me introduce my second guest and collaborator, Beverly Baker. She has been a student and observer of violence dynamics for years. She began her education as a young girl with wanderlust, undeterred by tales of the boogeyman. She has dodged peril and outwitted threats on the streets of major American cities, Europe, the former Eastern Bloc, and Southern Africa. So she gets around quite a lot. She has developed and taught personal safety courses for the Los Angeles Police Department's Community Police Academy, for corporations on LA's Skid Row, at women's shelters, colleges, universities, public school districts, and also to the general public for 20 years. She holds a second degree black belt in Chayon Ryu martial arts, and over the past 30 years has studied various martial arts, including the traditional Asian arts, Krav Maga, and boxing. She currently competes in judo. Beverly is a volunteer escort at a healthcare clinic where she observes and physically manages the principles of conflict on the front lines where politics and religion collide. She holds a BA in sociology from the University of Texas at Austin and an MBA with a focus in digital media management. Welcome, Beverly. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and with Lisa, too. Yes. I know. This is great. (laughs) This is going to be fun. It's the terrific trio. (laughs) (laughs) That is our new name. (laughs) New marketing hashtag right there. Love it. (laughs) So between us, let's see, I think we have close to 80 years worth of life in the world of martial arts and self-defense. Just adding all of those things up. And if I didn't, if I didn't feel old enough already. Well, yes, at least that's cumulative between the three of us. (laughs) No, I understand. (laughs) Yeah, we just think by the time we're 80... (laughs) got to train the young ones man we can't keep this up forever (laughs) absolutely and you know one of the things that struck me was that all three of us started in martial arts and you know went quite a long way and then all three kind of went hmm this is not quite the thing you know this is really fun and all but it's not actually the same as self-defense so we all three separately had that realization. Uh, I'm curious, you know, about each of you, what that experience was like of discovering, you know, that all those years of training in martial arts were not actually the same thing that you wanted and needed in the real world. That was, uh, it is very interesting how so many, and I'm just now finding you guys, you know, different people that are come to that realization, you know, around the same time. And meeting you guys. Um, with mine, I had an actual assault as a black belt that, that made me realize that I didn't have the other necessary skills, whatever those skills were, to truly not just defend, but um, to de-escalate it, to see it coming, to be able to speak up before it even got to a physical matter. And so that's kind of what opened my eyes. I mean, I questioned all the way through, but, you know, was always stifled. Yeah, you'll just know when, when you have to defend. But it's all the, um, you know, the pre-physical stuff, the important stuff, you know, the 
like I said, the de-escalation, preventative, those things that we really try to get out there as well forever up until probably last year, year before when I've started seeing other ladies realizing the same stuff. I felt totally alone in what I was trying to do with, with the self-defense here in my isolated area of northeastern Nevada. And, you know, it got frustrating, but with a network of people helping out, it's just, it's been huge to help me keep going and, and knowing that I'm not just swimming against the current here. There's several of us that are, that are making this happen. It's really great. Yeah, it it's an interesting thing when your community is the martial art community and then you become one of the people who doesn't see things the same way anymore. And uh, it's somewhat difficult, you know, talking to martial artists about this because when you say, you know, there's a difference between martial arts and, and self-defense, the instant response is, Oh no, there isn't, you know, I teach self-defense too. And it's very difficult sometimes to even initiate that conversation. So I, I totally get like that, that lonely voice in the wilderness feeling. How about you, Beverly? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I know Lisa and I have been talking for a long time about this. And, and the ironic thing is I live in Los Angeles and Lisa lives in a desert <laughs> where she has to travel a hundred miles to go train, which I so admire that. Um, but we, you know, it's like, we have the same problem. Like, you know, it's, it's not, you know, Lisa was saying, cause it's, it's hard to find people have this conversation with. It's like, you know, I'm in Los Angeles and, you know, surrounded by, you know, all kinds of people. And it's, it's, it's just like not the mainstream conversation. It's been going on for a while in the self-defense martial arts communities. But I think, you know, the mainstream public, when they go to sign up for, you know, a self-defense class or something that they've been told will help them, you know, with their protection, some kind of martial art or combat sport, you know, that's just the, um, the mindset everyone has. And I do see it changing. Um, you know, all three of us here, you know, stand on, on the shoulders of giants of, of those who, you know, we, we've read and worked and studied with, you know, Rory Miller and Tony Blower, um, just to name a few, the left of bang guys I'm a big fan of. And, and so I do see, you know, the shift happening where it's not happening, where I think it needs to happen the most. Because I think in, in the men's world of martial arts, if you will, like they get what a social versus predatory is. They know what a monkey dance is. A, lo- a lot of them, not everybody. And they know like, okay, is this a fight where I'm just like, you know, being a jerk or am I, you know, defending something here? But we, I think all of us, this is why we've started talking. We haven't seen that being translated to, uh, you know, the women, women's needs. And you can't just put, you know, what works for guys, just paint that on top of a woman's needs. Cause I'm just going to say it's way more complex. You know, I, I can't get inside a guy's world and un- understand what they deal with. But, um, I think all of us can agree here that there's a lot of complexities to personal safety for women. Um, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, whether it's financial, there's just a lot of layers that, y- you know, I, the three of us and then, and other women that we know are, are like really, like, you know, a small town, but it, you know, I'm in a big town and it kind of doesn't matter because it's, it's not like the size of the town. It's just like where people's heads are. Um, that was kind of the main thrust of it. And I probably just rambled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Getting people on to training. Okay. Getting people to train. Yep. So Beverly was mentioning on how, you know, getting women to come in and train and, and 
we've been talking about all of a sudden we have this realization that the martial arts just wasn't what we needed as in our self-defense and keeping safe. And Beverly was talking about ladies being in this field of trying to get self-defense and personal safety out to women in a way that covers what we need it in. When I'm teaching seminars, these basically I'm trying to get the ladies to understand that some of their skills that they have, they've been using. They just haven't thought about it in a personal safety or, or self-protection way. The, uh, the de-escalation skills that we've had growing up, the, you know, that are sensing something's not right and not, not you know, trusting, trusting your intuition to not go to a place or just that creepy feeling. That is all stuff that ladies have done and, and put into action that they don't even consider as part of a self-defense regimen. And, and so it's, to me, I think we're just not necessarily teaching them. We're not teaching them new stuff. We're just reintroducing stuff they already know, showing them that they're so capable of doing this stuff. Yeah, that's a great point because I think it has to do with how the term self-defense is perceived. You know, pretty much everybody assumes that self-defense means fighting. And so all yes. the not fighting skills are not even included in the standard definition. And you know, as you were saying, those are things that we all already know how to do and we already are capable of and just don't even realize it. And so working, you know, with a, yes. with a coach who, who gets that it's not all about fighting, that it's about listening to those instincts and intuition and paying attention to warning signs and learning how to de-escalate or defuse somebody when there's a conflict, you know, all of that, when a coach understands that that's part of self-defense too, and then can bring women to that realization for themselves, it's so good because then the only piece that may be uncomfortable for them is the actual hands-on part. And, you know, not a lot of women grow up doing fisticuffs and roughhousing unless they have a bunch of brothers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that kind of reframing everything from self-defense is physical to, you know, self-defense includes everything before it gets physical. Cynthia, that's that's a really great point. I know you wanted to talk, you had mentioned talking about this. It's like, what's one thing that maybe keeps women out of self-defense classes? And clearly, you know, after decades, all of us can say, you know, we, we know that the physical aspect literally keeps people out. And, you know, because self-defense is framed around the physical, that just puts anyone who is like frightened or, or anxiety or has anxiety about that, you know, out of the room. And, you know, I think Me Too has really shown a light on the weaknesses of the current or the, the I would say the, the more traditional ideas of self-defense, because it's, you know, if you're if, if you're being taken advantage of by a coworker or a boss or, you know, whether it's just through, you know, someone copying your work or the more more egregious things of, of sexual harassment, who's teaching those skills? Like, where is that coming from and, and who's understanding what the big picture of, okay, if my boss is coming on to me, then what are the costs? You know, I mean, people know that already. Women know that already. And that's the choices they have to make in those situations to do the best me they can. 
But, you know, all of that conversation has just been so missing for years and years and years because we just think it's the boogeyman jumping out of the bushes. And it's not. It's, you know, it's that creeper in, in your neighborhood or it's that, you know, relative or it's that coworker. And, you know, those are the skills that, you know, are really important that, you know, to understand how, how conflict and, 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 and violence how it evolves and how to recognize it and how to head it off and, and understand the, the risks and consequences of any course of action. Um, Cause you know, it's not always a happy ending. You might get fired, but you've got to kind of figure that out. But you've got, if, if you, if you're listening to this and you've got to figure that out, you've got like women who have your back. Like we are all in the trenches. We've been in the trenches figuring this out for years. And this is none of this is stuff you're going to get from a self-defense class. You might get like a cursory, let's set boundaries. And I, I've totally done that. It's like, let's use your, our, our stern voice and let's set boundaries. And, you know, let's look over your shoulder and be aware. But like none of the nuances that were that Me Too has brought to light. Right. And what that brings to mind for me is that when we focus on the boogeyman in the bushes, it's very easy for women to just say, oh, that will never happen to me. I live, you know, in a very safe neighborhood. I, my house is in a gated community. I never go to dangerous places, you know, all of that kind of thing. It, it's very easy to dismiss that um, stranger assault out of nowhere, that ambush. But, well, and, but when you talk I, have, about these other things that you were just mentioning, I mean, all of us can relate to work situations, neighbors, right. you know, Though that's that is such a big area. And it's not that we're saying like you shouldn't know how to deal with the boogeyman in the bushes, because clearly if you do happen to be one of the unlucky few that runs into one of them, you want to know what to do. But right. the far greater volume of threats and issues that women have to deal with are in the people that they already know and already have a connection with of some sort. And you know, have to deal with on a, on a daily or a regular basis. So that, that was a very astute thing to bring up. Well, I, thank you. It's, it's, it's just a, a subject that's very near and dear to my heart because I, I've actually have known and worked with women who have taken, uh, they're like, Oh, I'm going to take Krav Maga. I hear that's going to keep me safe. Oh, I'm going to take Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I hear that, you know, every, all these fights go to the ground. That's what I need to keep me safe. Well, then they're, you know, groped at a party. And then there's the aftermath of this was a friend and then no, none of my friends believe me. And now there's the schism in our friendship circle. And, you know, maybe I've had a little much to drink. And so that, that impaired my like reaction time. Like none of that, none of that scenario I just described is, is, uh, in a self-defense situation in self, any self-defense class I've ever, uh, seen. And that's the reality, you know, that women have to deal with. It's like, you know, there's, there's the thing that happened itself. And then there's that aftermath. And, you know, again, we have to have each other's back and knowing how to prepare and how to deal with the aftermath of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Lisa, I think you were going to jump in at one point there. Yeah, actually, that was good timing. Yeah. Um, I think actually it is not, you know, covered in the your basic martial arts class. And even if you were to bring it up and say, hey, you know, what happens if how many times has that instructor not had an answer because they don't they don't see those incidences as a self-defense personal safety type of of uh you know 
thing that they have to address because it doesn't go, you know, to the fisticuffs type of, 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 you know, actions. Um, so, and then it's, it's like, I, you know, I question my instructor, not often, but every once in a while on how is this going to work? And even though I, I haven't had some of the experiences of many other ladies out there. My circle is small. I live in a town with no people. So <laughs> I still was aware that it has happened, but I, I didn't make the connection that those kind of interpersonal deviances would be part of self-defense aspect because of the, um, because of the marketing martial arts is self-defense. All you need to do is, you know, punch him in the face, kick him in the groin, but it's all those pre-instant things that Cynthia mentioned earlier that are the most important. And I guess not the most important, but being able to recognize it so it doesn't go physical and the repercussions that Beverly mentioned happen often. And it's some of the stories I've heard from ladies in industries that are more male dominated. It's, it's, Holy cow, it's horrifying. But those that, you know, stick with it know the repercussions and have to make a decision. And if they are good at communicating and deflecting, they can do some amazing things to not get themselves in that position or at least to bring it up to the perpetrator, the the creeper guy that, hey, you know, I'm not appreciating this. Let's just not do this. And I've I've got a friend of mine who works in an industry and some of her stories with the guys in the, in the field, she works construction and some of the ways she's handled has just been totally amazing. And I, and I couldn't do what she does to be able to deflect and diffuse. Holy cow. It's amazing. See, that's who I want to take a self-defense. That's who I want to take a self-defense class from like someone like that. You know what I mean? And, and I, I love all the men in this industry and what they've brought to it. But honestly, I'm not mm-hmm. a cop. I'm not a corrections officer. I have no yes. aspirations yes. to do that. I'm not a soldier. Like none of that is of interest or of relevance to my life. Now, have we learned from those folks and learning how, you know, the, uh, the violence like unfolds and learning about bad guys? Absolutely. That is definitely true. But Lisa, what you just said about that woman, like, sign me up for her class. Like, <laughs> let's go. Let's do let's, it. I want to learn from her. I want to work with her. Yeah, she sounds amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. And she doesn't even consider any of this stuff. I mean, she knows it helps keeps her safe. You know, it's, it's right. like, yeah, just do what I need to do. And it's, it's just normal. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thought that went through my brain was, I want her on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to her. I'll be visiting her this week. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting because, you know, this, this whole thing is an extension of a fear that a lot of women bring up when I talk to them about their situations. And that's an underlying fear that if I do anything, it's going to cause the situation to escalate. So whether that's at work, uh, well, if I say something, you know, I'm going to end up being fired or blacklisted or passed over for promotion or, you know, talked about or, you know, that kind of thing. But also when it does go into the physical realm, there are many women who are like, you know, he's really annoying me, but I'm afraid that if I actually initiate something hands on, like if I try to push him away or something, that that's going to escalate him and, you know, it's going to end up being more violent and I'm going to be in more danger. So I think it's really the same coin, just in a different environment. You know, that's just like, it is what 
keeps women from wanting to act because they're afraid that as shitty as the situation is right now, if I do something, it's going to get worse. Right. And, and we're wired to be conservative and to play it safe. Like that's just our nature as human beings. And I, I just, I have, I have something to say about this. Uh, there was an article that came out a week or two ago and the headline was something like girl rejects man. So he punches her. And it's like, wait a minute, let's back up. So this is, you know, a very specific dynamic. This is not the office dynamic. This is not a a family dynamic. This is a stranger hitting on a woman. She rejects him. And so he assaults her. And it's like, what caused him to hit her was him being a criminal, violent criminal. It's not because she said what she said. Like, and I get really concerned when I see headlines like that, because I feel like that's culturally victim grooming women to be like, well, I can't say anything then I'm just gonna, you know, just take it or whatever. And now maybe what there is to do is, you know, run away. Like, I'm not going to second guess this girl. Like she handled it how she handled it. She just happened to be dealing with a violent predator who was also out with like his buddies. So like, there's that other layer of stuff. But to your point, Cynthia, yeah, absolutely. There, are, there can be, you know, feedback, if you will, or reaction to setting boundaries. You know, if you're in your work situation and that's happening, you know, those are things you have to weigh and measure. But, you know, people who are bad people are just going to do bad things anyway. Like you are not the cause of them being a bad person. So that's my high horse statement for now. I'm sure I'll have more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that horse is... That horse is carrying, I think, three passengers right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> got it. Clydesdale, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> and I'm sure there's many more. Yeah, better be a strong horse. <laughs> that was uh, definitely well put because bad people are going to do bad things. It's not, that's her reaction was not, or, you know, the reaction he did for her saying, no, I'm not interested was. Totally. Well, one, it was shocking when I read that headline as well. And then your your answers to that was spot on. There's stuff before. He's a he's he's a bad person, period. It's not because of her reaction to his his particular wanting to get to know her better. Right. Yeah, like a, like a nice guy, like like so clearly she was right to say no to him, right? Because <laughs> he yeah. doesn't handle uh, obstacles and derailments to his plans well. So yeah, no. clearly she made the right choice. And obviously, a yes is not going to help out much either because it's, it's just not yeah. like, some people you just don't want to hang out with, you know? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a story that Coach Blower tells at a lot of his seminars when he's talking about setting boundaries and. The illustration that he uses sometimes is, you know, if you're out running and you feel like you're being followed, get that bad feeling, kind of uncomfortable, and you turn around when the person is, you know, 20, 30 feet still behind you and you challenge them, you know, with a, hey, are you following me? That that's uncomfortable for some women to do. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it feels like a dangerous thing to do to challenge somebody like that. But the point that he makes that I think is great is if it's a a decent person, the response is going to be, oh, hey, lady, you know, don't get your knickers in a twist. Like, i am got nothing to do with you. Sorry, I scared you. But if he's somebody that actually was following you and has that intent, that evil intent, then what you just gained was 20, 30 feet of distance and some time to get ready for the assault that he had planned. 
And, you know, even that challenge can be enough to derail his plan because, of course, they're not looking for hard targets. They're looking for easy ones. And, you know, you're turning around and being assertive and, and making eye contact and raising your voice and, you know, sort of establishing a perimeter like that can be enough to deter some people, not all, clearly. But I always, I always liked that because it, to me, really helps to address that fear of what if what I do escalates things. And I, I say the same thing that you two do, which is like, if, if it's somebody that's got bad intent, they've already got that intent. And sure, maybe there are some situations where, you know, you might say something that does escalate the situation or might do something that does escalate the situation, but you didn't turn him into a bad person. Like he was already that person. He just maybe at that point wasn't targeting you. So, you know, we're never prescriptive. I don't think any of us uh, in this conversation are ever prescriptive in telling women, you know, well, this is the way it is and this is how you should handle everything because we we all know that it all depends on the scenario. Right. But, um, you know, well, for, most, I, I, for most people, setting a boundary is a good thing. And if it triggers something, well, there was something that was ready to be triggered already. Right. I, 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 I want to push back a little bit on something you said or quoting Tony on. Well, I agree with his sentiment. I, I disagree with the execution. So if I only think think I'm being followed and I turn around and yell at somebody, I would argue that that could, you know, as it, make things not good. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, I w- that is not a tactic I would do or advise. Um, would I turn around? Would I look them in the face? Would I circle them and get behind their back? I'm a bit more, um, I like to use more kind of sneaky approaches um, and then resort to yelling at people. Like if I have a few more red flags and they just happen to be behind me. So, right. Well, um, that's probably my storytelling, leaving out some, uh, even out okay. some details, but yeah, I, I think, you know, you can tell when you're, when you're out, if you're out alone and then you have this persistent feeling of being followed, you know, and, and you get that bad feeling. It feels different than when there's just somebody who also happens to be running along the same trail as you. Absolutely. You, you are absolutely right. And, and I thought that really ties in actually to what your next point was, which I think is interesting is that people want prescriptions. <laughs> and I get this all the time. Like, what do I do when this, what, you know, do I look someone in the eye is a question I get. Right. Cause I, I teach classes on um, navigating urban environments and you know, that's a big question. And it's like, it depends. Like there's no one size fits all answer. And I think, I think maybe that's one reason the physical has like people just, we default to that because it feels like a, it's something tangible. Like, you know, I feel like when, when I have conversations and I'm like, well, there's no one answer, but let's talk about the variables. Like at first kind of the air goes out of them because they're, and, and I can feel this disappointment because they want this one size fits all answer. But my goal is to kind of help them think through the various dynamics of what's happening. Like, who are you? Like, what's your background? What's your ability? Like, where are you? What's, you know, just the whole context that has to be taken into account. So that's, I think, is that something you guys deal with too? Like people looking for a prescription to certain scenarios? How do you handle that if so? Absolutely. They do want the prescription. I reiterate often in my class, you know, you have to find what fits you, your body, your personality, your experiences. I'm showing you examples of what works for me, but I've had training. I've done things 
that uh, you may not have done, uh, but you've handled many situations that I have never experienced. So I'm just giving you a, 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 tool, a set of tools that you need to find what works best for you. I know I'm not a verbal person, so I don't know that I could verbally de-escalate. But if you work in an area that you are great at verbally verbalizing, you know, what you need to, then absolutely figure out what's going to work for you. And um, like I said, I have to say it often because they want to be able to do it exactly like me, but they're not built like me, so they can't. I also have to make it a point to say that often as well that I, you know, I'm, I'm shorter in stature. So these things that I have to adapt to are different. Let's figure out what works for you in your particular build and your physical capabilities. And so I'd really try to make sure that they realize that they're not me and I'm not them. And let's figure out what does work for them. It's not a one size fits all anything in any of this because of the variables. Oh, I love that both of you do that because I do the same thing and I'm sure it can be frustrating as a, as a student or a client to, to hear, well, it all depends on the scenario, but it really is true. And I think one of the thing that things that helps with that is when you start talking about creating mental blueprints and saying, you know, well, let's, let's take a particular example of a scenario and let's talk about different ways that it could be handled, especially if you have a group, you know, and it's a diverse group, like Lisa was just talking about, of different ages, different backgrounds, different levels of physical ability, different physical attributes, you know, and you can, you can say, well, I could handle it like this and sort of paint the scenario of what you could do. And then another person could say, well, I could handle it like this. And the benefit is like, everybody gets to hear all those different ways that a particular situation could be handled. And yeah. all of them get those mental blueprints stored away like software in the brain so that if they are ever in a situation that's similar, they've got more things for their brain to go to in the moment, which, of course, helps with the whole freezing thing. But I think that that is a good way to get around the, you know, well, can't you just give me like the magic bullet thing? you know, that, that perfect solution that'll fix everything. Because it also, it happens in the physical realm too, right? Everybody wants to know, like, what's the move? Like, teach me the move. Right, right, right. Like, well, it depends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I tell you the move. That's always is one a, of the, the greatest, is, that's always one of the greatest um, things that you hear. For me, it, it's just so rewarding when I hear it, when I'm teaching is, oh, I never thought about that. And then you could just see light bulbs and these these things forming in their heads about how they could do this stuff and the different ways they could. It's just that's, that's one of the greatest feelings when you're teaching. Oh, wow, I never thought of that. So cool. Yeah, that's what we're <laughs> all so excited by, isn't it? Is just like getting those light bulb moments, seeing those light bulb moments for the for the people in the course, or even you know when we go out and we do speaking speaking gigs. You know, you can see mm -hmm. people in the in the audience having those light bulb moments, and they'll they'll come up sometimes after the talk and say, oh, you know, when you said this, I just realized, you know, and they'll have a story about that. That's, I don't know about you two, but like that really gets me super pumped up to keep doing this because like it's all about those realizations and expanding awareness and understanding and knowledge. Well, and, and I want to say I have light bulb moments all the time for myself <laughs> when I, when I teach and when I present um, publicly 
people either in class or afterwards, they will give me an example of what they're talking of what I'm talking about and how they've creatively used it. And I'm just like, yes, you get it. And, and, and so for one example, um, in, in class, I talk about othering and how to um, develop the skill of not being othered. So for, for those of you who may be listening, othering is the idea of you're, you're not like me, you're different than me. And that's where we get like the ideas of racial slurs and ethnic slurs and, and that kind of thing. And so the ability to kind of dissipate yourself from being othered can be really helpful. And in explaining this, I was teaching for the LA Tour Guides Association. And one of this tour guide who was giving walking tours on Hollywood Boulevard, she, um, she's this like tiny little blonde petite. She looks like she stepped out of like Good Housekeeping 1950. Because she literally wears like the cute little 1950s dresses. <laughs> and, you know, she, like her answer, like, is not to like yell at somebody, you know, like on the boulevard. It, 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 it's a pretty di- dicey proposition. It's a it's a tourist attraction, but it's it's pretty gritty. And um, anyway, she started getting heckled by these guys who sell tours on the boulevard. They stand out there and sell tours. And they, they sell, they'll sell you a tour with one hand and, and drugs with the other. I mean, this is a pretty rough bunch. And so when she'd walk by, they'd give her a hard time. Well, one day she just walked up to them and was like, hi, my name is April. And I am now giving tours. And I just wanted to say hi and meet you. And like forever after that, like they, when, when she goes by, she greets them. She says now they kind of look out for her if there's anything going on. And so the distinction of othering, she instinctively knew how to do that. And, you know, some of us are better at that instinct than others. But again, it's like, there is no one size fits all answer. Like she could have like said, Hey dudes, you know, I'm trying to give a tour here, but like she used that principle of just trying to be friendly. And I also do tours. And that's just like one of many examples of that of people I learn from. I, then I love to share those stories. Because I think we can all think of little examples. I don't mean little in a diminutive way, but just like the way things show up in our life just from day to day. It's like, how do I deal with this? And it's like, we have those capabilities. We just kind of need to sink in and just like be adaptable. I, I'm on this like charge of, I think that adaptability is the key to self-defense. It's not the physical. It's not, you know, all that. It's like, are you adaptable? Can you improvise? Oh, that's great. You adapt to survive. Yeah. 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 Well, I'd like to wrap this episode up. I, I kind of don't want to, though, because this is really fun. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> but there will be more. So um, just to wrap it up, I'm curious what you each think, you know, just kind of in brief, is the biggest challenge to women's safety right now? Oh, gosh. Um, I think for me, the biggest challenge in this particular, where I live, and I, as, as Beverly stated earlier, it's, there's, it's, there's a commonality no matter where our location is. It's getting ladies to understand, uh, and we've hashed this out already, and it'll be, keep being that hashed out, is getting them to understand that their personal safety, this, quote, self-defense, is, is much more than the physical, and they have those innate, intrinsic skills that they've used, you know, all their lives to keep safe and to just point those out to them so that they get more confident on, yes, I, I am perfectly capable of defending and it doesn't have to be physical, but if it does go physical, let me see what I can do about this and then just 
be be brutal and keep yourself safe. And we know, you know, that there is a uh, sometimes retaliation and a price to pay if we have to step up to that. But I think, well, I know women all around are, are gosh, we're so much stronger than than we think. And just to get the other ladies to realize that and to be more open to their strengths and their, their so-called superpowers, you know? Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Beverly? Um, well, how can I top that? Lisa's so brilliant. <laughs> um, for, <laughs> for me, I think it's, um, it's finding a balance between, you know, w- with everything we have available, social media, you hear every story every time something happens. And so it's like there's that balance between being like terrified to just get out from under the covers in the morning to being lackadaisical and just thinking, you know, it, it, it won't happen to me kind of thing. And so, I, you know, it, I feel like I'm saying two competing interests here, but I think that's the challenge. It's like, how do you like stay prepared, stay on top of your world, stay mindful, stay observant, but then still like kick back and enjoy life? You know, a big, big one of my goals is, you know, you should come away from this, not empowered. I feel like that's an overused word, but just like, yeah, I'm ready to just go live my life now and not live in fear. And I feel like, you know, with all the access and, and, you know, everybody's got your tips on how to do everything. It's just like, we can all, we can, if we use just some common sense, we can also just calm down (laughs) with the fear. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, we're, we're all pretty much in harmony you know, with our, our perspective on, on this, because for me, the biggest challenge for women is, is just the belief that the learning how to protect yourself means you have to look outside of yourself. Like it's something out oh. there that you have to get. Yes. Oh, that's so brilliant. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's in here. It's in us. We're born with all the abilities. We're just mm-hmm. too friggin' domesticated to be aware of what we're capable of oftentimes. Yeah. And you know, we're also, at least, you know, in the U.S. and other parts of the world, not accustomed to having to take personal responsibility for a lot of things that contribute to our ability to live our lives. I mean, I, I now live up in the mountains and I have no trash pickup service and I have no mail delivery and I'm on my own well for water. And yet the majority of people in the U.S., those are things that are provided. And, okay. you know, same thing with safety. Like if, if I have an issue up here with a neighbor, if I get threatened or somebody comes onto my property or heck, if I get bitten by a rattlesnake. Right. It's on me. There, yeah. It's no, you know, 911. I could I could try calling 911 if I can get a signal, but it's going to take them an hour plus to get here if they can get through the creek. Whereas most of us you know, in the U.S. and in many parts of the world, like there is help closer. And so it's it's really easy when you're used to that stuff being like just a quick phone call away or, you know, you're used to your fiance or your your husband or your significant other being with you most of the time. It's easy to kind of outsource your personal safety needs and not think that you have to do anything. Yeah. And so I think, yeah. you know, just realizing that it is your responsibility and you may make all the right choices in, you know, never going to a dangerous place, staying away from isolated places, you know, not being alone with somebody that you feel a little skeevy about, you know, all of those things. 
you know, you can make all the right choices and still have something happen. And if you have not taken responsibility for your own safety and learned how to tap into those powers that you actually are born with, then you're going to be in a not good situation and it's preventable. You know, the situation might not be preventable, but your response to it, you're, you're freezing, you're spinning around, not knowing what to do and just feeling like all you can do is just comply and have something happen to you. That's preventable. And, you know, that, that for me, that's the biggest challenge is to, to get women to really understand that. I'm so with you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. What was, what was our nickname? Something, the treat, the trio, something. The terrific trio. <laughs> the terrific trio. I just feel like we need to put our hands in a circle right now, but yeah. we're all remote. So like the three musketeers. <laughs> yes. I'm so down with this. <laughs> well, we're swashbucklers now, aren't we? Oh my goodness, we are. That's true. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, this has been so much fun. I, I want to thank you both, Beverly and Lisa, for coming on the podcast today and spending this time. We covered so many oh. topics. It's been just great. So I'm going to, in the show notes, put the links to your social media so people know how they can get in touch with you. And awesome. until the next time, stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.